You're listening to Driving Law, a podcast by Kyla Lee about all things related to the rules of the road. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Driving Law. I am Kyla Lee at Acumen Law, and with me is my co-hostess with the mostest, Paul Doroshenko. Hi, Kyla. Hi. Or the chip guru. The chip guru. Oh my God, I can't believe you brought that up. I shouldn't have made this confession on Twitter. I didn't realize how popular it would be. Oh, well, I think you thought that it might be popular because you posted those videos and you had to have known that. Yeah, but I didn't think it would be popular amongst people who follow lawyers on Twitter. That's true. Uh, you probably thought it would be uh, the tweens. Yeah, exactly. Would be the ones interested in your chip videos. Looking for a tween audience. Yep. Um, But no. And I also found out that one of my Twitter followers, whom you know, who I would really like to be a guest on this podcast one day, happens to work for Lay's. Oh, really? Yes, I'll tell you off the show who it is, because I don't know if he wants it out there. Oh, really? But he messaged me, and uh, and he said, ha, 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 you don't know who I work for, do you? Uh, And I originally thought it was something related to something else I had tweeted, and then I was very embarrassed, and then he said, no, I work for Lay's. I was like, oh, can you hook me up with one of those breathalyzer Dorito bags? Oh, yeah, for sure. Two years ago... For the Super Bowl, as a promotional item, Doritos gave away a breathalyzer bag of chips. It was just regular Doritos in the bag, but the bag had a spot where if you breathed on it, it would um, turn a certain color. And if you breathed, like, enough to show that you had alcohol in your body, uh, it would give you a code for a free Uber ride. Oh. Yeah. Fascinating, but dangerous um, well, it for was a, a corporation novel- <laughs> to do it. I mean, it, it, that has it, to be a pure novelty with a bunch a, of disclaimers on it. It was a novelty promotional item. They never actually sold them in stores, and they never, um, like, they never distributed them to the public. So they were only sent out to specific individuals, um, mostly reporters and things like that. So the bags are out there, hmm. and I want one. Well, you're a Doritos fan. I and mean, you're a fan of pretty much every... All chips. All chips. All chips. Except well, no, those crab chip. chips. <clears throat> well, okay. So the Ukrainian crab chip company uh, is probably not going to contact you to look for a uh, um, some sort of um, endorsement. No. But um, Doritos, you love Doritos. You're a Doritos fan. I love Doritos. In fact, I I have a specific recipe for nachos that I call sad nachos, which are nachos that involve Doritos. Can you still say sad nachos now with uh, with Donald Trump in the office? The word sad is just... They're the nachos I eat taken, when I'm sad. I know, but it's taken <laughs> a, such a whole new meaning. I never use it anymore. I've often wanted to say sad, and now I can't say yeah. it anymore because I don't want to sound like I'm... All right. Too much banter, Paul. Sorry. Yeah. We have lots to talk about this week. As usual, it's been a big week for driving law. <clears throat> First thing I want to talk about right out the gate, because it's been a running theme lately, ICBC's no-fault changes, yet another story, seemingly a black eye in the face of personal injury lawyers. This one on Global News um, by Richard Zussman. And it follows the case of a woman who they're calling Missy. She doesn't want to use her real name because she's afraid she's going to get sued by her lawyers. She's not going to get sued not by likely. her lawyers not for likely, that. But... Um, 
but she's afraid. Missy was involved in an accident about a decade ago. She got injured and has been unable to work since. Through the course of her time with a law firm, uh, she did not go to trial. And ultimately, 10 years after the accident happened, settled the case. Now, ICBC cut a check to the law firm for about $265,000, to $260,000 and some change. Um, and this is where Missy gets upset. So the check to the law firm, though, is going to cover lots of things. It's going exactly. to cover the settlement. It's going to cover um, the um, disbursements, Cost, disbursements. And, uh, and any experts' reports and things like that. Yeah. And this is the thing. So the report um, that has come out in the media has been, and, and I'm not criticizing um, Richard Zussman at all for the way that he reported this story, because as you and I both know, lawyers' bills can be very confusing. Um, the report is that the person got 200, a $265,000 settlement, but that's not what she got. The bill, which you can actually see in the news story, her settlement was $103,000. There was an insane amount of disbursements and expenses associated with the litigation that never went to trial. And why it never went to trial is not revealed. Missy doesn't say in the interview. Didn't go to trial because... You know, my lawyers told me I had a losing case, or it didn't go to trial because uh, they were offering me more than the court was going to award. Yeah, right. And this is the thing. So, so David Eby, who is a lawyer, is then quoted in the story um, as saying that this is another example of you know the ridiculous waste that's caused by lawyers and caused by the system and blah blah blah. It's proof that the system is broken. This makes me so upset. It makes me so upset. And I know you want to give Richard the pass, and that's fine. I mean, he's a journalist, but the thing that concerns me is that this is the narrative um, that is out there, and it's not a news story. Missy would not be a news story, but for the fact that it was such a an expense and that she got so little of the expense, but the settlement... Is, it's all the claim is worth is, is what, what the, the settlement is. what the claim is worth. Yeah. It's what ICBC and her lawyers and her, she would have had to agree to it, all got together and agreed this is how much money she's entitled to for her future income loss, for her pain and suffering, and for, you know, anything else. And she was probably being paid her part sevens all along. Yeah. Her out-of-pocket expenses all along. So... Out of pocket, she's probably already been compensated. And we're just talking about her pain and suffering and her future wage loss and yep. past income loss. Yep. And that's that's the frustrating thing is, you know, you can look at this number of $265,000 and be shocked that in the end she only got 70000 But she only got 70000 because she was entitled to one hundred and three, and the lawyers took 30%. They didn't even take the full amount that they were entitled to take, right? Like you can take 33 and a third. They took 30, less than they're entitled to be paid for 10 years work. And they only got $30,000 for all 10 of that. 10 years of work and the lawyers got 30 grand. 3,000 a year. 
And, you know, but the story and the spin that the government puts on it, of course, is that this is, you know, yet another example of greedy lawyers taking, you know, um, she ends up with $70,000 and they took the rest of her money. Well, no, 84000 was spent on experts' reports. I can't believe 10 years with a file and all they got was $30,000 in the end. That's yeah. a long time. That's know, a right? lot of file yeah. work. That's a lot of file contact. And if you have to deal with that many experts, that's a lot of hours. Mm -hmm. $84,000 in experts' reports, which tells me another thing. And if the file takes 10 years, it's not easy. No. No. Uh, and there, I mean, why didn't it see a courtroom for 10 years? Who knows? Who knows? They could have gone, to, stood outside of the courtroom a, a half dozen times, ready to run a trial and not got a court date. Yep. And prepared for all of that each time. Yep. I mean, that's hard earned money. I'm sorry. And, that's, and <laughs> that's when you get costs and disbursements that run up. You know, you could have ICBC switching counsel at the last minute and the trial necessitating an adjournment. You could have a witness, a critical witness, getting sick or ill or unable to come to court for whatever reason, giving birth. Um, you know, the lawyers that. in the end only take... Uh... I had Crown seek an adjournment once because a, 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 a male officer, his wife had a baby. And I was like, he didn't give birth. He can come to court. And what happened? It got adjourned. <laughs> I still think it's ridiculous. I think that's ridiculous. I mean, if it's... He didn't, he did not give birth. I know. But I've seen female officers come and testify while yeah. pregnant or shortly after giving birth. I know. You know, women are just so much more resilient. Well, I'm sure he could have testified if it was two weeks after. It was two weeks after. Yeah. He just really wanted to spend time with his baby. Uh, you could be in court for a few hours. Somebody's was, life it, is on the line. It, it was going to be a couple days. Okay. But well, still, you well. know, shortly after I was born, my dad went on a field trip and almost died. So, which was part of my submission in court. The judge was like, okay. So what? <laughs> yeah. So what about your life story? <laughs> yeah, right. Who cares about your damn life story? And I, I, I think I said, and I turned out okay. <laughs> Great. See, now if I said something like that, I'd look like a complete idiot. You can say something like that and you can, you know, laugh there and the judge will think, ah, ha, ha, Miss Lee, you're so funny and persuasive. But I wasn't because... Well, you weren't persuasive enough. Yeah. You know. Anyway. I tried. Um, the point being that who knows why it never saw a courtroom. Um, but the lawyers didn't pocket all the extra money. And the lawyers got 30 grand. 84,000 in expert reports. To me, you know, like, Trial Lawyers Association was asked for an interview for that story. And they declined to comment. Why didn't they just explain the issue yeah. with respect to... Explain. The lawyers actually made $30,000 for 10 years' work. We're members of the Trial Lawyers Association. And I don't care. it's a It's a good organization and uh, lots of things are really, really good about it, but I feel that they have not advocated well enough and a lot of lawyers have been unwilling to talk as a result of uh, the suggestion that they shouldn't and that they should leave it to the Trial Lawyers Association. But then the Trial Lawyers Association. the Trial Lawyers Association doesn't step up to talk and, and no. we're better advocates than they are, I think, for it and we're not even personal injury lawyers. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't understand this, like, you know, them wanting to gag their members from talking about things in the media. If you have nobody out there who can explain these things, then David Eby and ICBC get, get to, to create spin the, narrative. the story. Yep. And they create the narrative. And this, this information is out there that's never going to be corrected, that the lawyers didn't pocket, 
you know, $165,000 of this woman's money. The lawyers pocketed $30,000 that they earned and, frankly, probably got shortchanged a lot in the process. Just doesn't, doesn't feel like the lawyers are pushing back for the benefit of the people of British Columbia, and that's what frustrates me. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of now the attitude is, uh, is kind of, uh, well, they'll wait and see. They'll see. They'll see. It's kind of like cool. that, that <laughs> she'll miss me when she leaves me. Well, you know? <laughs> I mean, I have it on good authority that all of my exes have not gotten over me. Well, there you go. I'm just kidding. Um, I have no idea. I was I was dumped every time. <laughs> I have no so idea. I, They've I think all they got over me. me on they, all social media. All, what does that tell you? <laughs> yeah, they all they all dumped me, so I think they were over me before they dumped me. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't surprise me. No, I know. <laughs> doesn't surprise anybody really. No, um, I have no uh, no ability to uh, communicate with my um, uh, with my exes, and I don't want to. So that's why they're my exes. Anyway. Um, Trial Lawyers Association, don't think that they're just going to, you know, come back to you after leaving you. It's no. like the cake song. She'll come back to me. I keep trying to say, Paul, the perfect way for trial lawyers to spin this, if they don't want to make it about the lawyers, make it about the experts because they're couldn't... Sure, throw the experts under the bus. $88,000 in experts? And 10 experts at $8,000 each I... or three experts at... $35,000 each? I got to tell you, I think that's ridiculous. Like these experts, when I've had to hire psychiatrists for clients and things like it's that, insane. I cannot believe the fees that they're charging. It's no wonder who's driving around in the Bentleys. Uh, that's, that kind of money is just absolutely ridiculous. And, and it's beyond, it's beyond anything that the rest of us would look at and think was realistic. Well, and they can basically charge whatever they want because ICBC most of the time will just agree to pay it. And if ICBC doesn't agree to pay it and say this expert report was too expensive, then they go to court and the court determines whether the expert report was too expensive. We have to hire experts. We hire experts with some regularity, time. but our experts are like, if, if it's into the thousands, they're there for days. Yeah. If it's, it's normally in the hundreds, if it's a report. Yeah. Yeah. It's ridiculous. It's insane. And I, I think that, that really there should be some cap on what experts can charge well, in I, ICBC cases. I suggested that, but you know, of course the, uh, the trial lawyers pushed back when we had the, the one, two expert thing. Yeah. Well, and a cap on like, the number of experts is not the way to save money. No, a cap of course. on what they can charge. I think so too. There's a cap on what lawyers can charge. So you can rely on that same thing to cap experts. Say, look, you, you want a, a tariff rate for a report. Yeah. I mean, you probably end up doing a lot more of them. Just saying. The other thing is, uh, you might, uh, the other thing is the, um, Tariff rate for the report and um, have some some arbiter even in the in the courthouse a master that you got to go before to to say that you need an expert. Um, doesn't yeah, have to be. Then you increase your costs though, your cost awards. Well, even if you have to just do an online form like the like the CRT to figure out whether or not you need an expert. Yeah. You know, just just something. Here's what we are. This is what we need the expert for. Here's our application for the fees for the expert. Yeah, I mean, they could they could do it. They could have... Look, I, I said when David Eby announced this no-fault system um, that this looked like retaliation for, you know, fighting the expert cap and that this was going to the huge extreme when there was a lot that he could have done 
in between limiting the evidence you can call in court, one extreme, to preventing you from going to court, the other extreme. There were like 400 stops in the middle that he could have taken, but you know, nobody asked me. Dave Eby, why don't you call me? I'm I have ideas. I'm surprised that they 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 didn't come up with some case supervision system um, in BC Supreme Court where y you can resolve a bunch of these things over the phone, mm -hmm. um, you know, a, a master over the phone or some like a judicial justice type thing over the phone to resolve all of these preliminary things. Mm -hmm. Yep. There's so many different ways it could have been done, and a cap on the experts. And I'm I'm telling you, when I looked at that experts fees. I look at those, yeah, on the experts' fees. When I looked at the experts' fees in that case, the one with Missy's case, I, it, it, I, I, I was angry. Yeah, I mean, the disbursements on that file were extremely high. But ICBC paid but it wasn't, them. Yeah, I know. It wasn't Missy money that she didn't them. get. But I, yeah, I know. But we, ratepayers, paid sure, them. Sure, sure. We as ratepayers paid them. But ICBC looked at it and said all of these were reasonably incurred to get her less money than they spent trying to get her. The money fight back, which means which is what the defense, what the the injury lawyers have been saying all along is that ICBC will spend all of this money to fight it out when they could have spent half that money and settled at the beginning. Yep, yep. They dragged me. You know, I'm I'm tempted right now to get a copy of my own bill from my lawyer when I had my ICBC matter and to put it out there so the public oh can God. see use a fake how name. much money I got. Use a fake name. I don't care if they see how much money I got. I was legitimately injured. I was entitled to that money. And and how much money the lawyers got and where the disbursements went. I think your fake name should be Petunia. Well, now you're, it's not a fake name if you tell me tell everyone what it is. Oh, uh, you said it on the podcast. Okay. You said it. <laughs> also, Petunia is a pig. I don't know. Yes, Petunia pig. That's fine. I, I just was struggling to come up with something that was as cute as Missy. Yeah. Um, okay, moving I on. To, I used to work with a lawyer um, who went by Missy. Yes. I think she's retired now. I don't know, but she was lovely and a really wonderful lawyer. A nice person. Articled student in a firm I was in before and then remained as an associate. Okay. Moving on. Two, impaired driving. Because... When the government, many, many years ago, and we're actually this year. The anniversaries the in a couple anniversaries coming up. Year anniversary of the immediate roadside prohibition scheme in at least one of its iterations. The, the actual 10 year anniversary of it being announced is coming up in the next few weeks. I know, we should have a party. Weeks. Yes. Um, the 10 year anniversary of the IRP scheme is coming up. And so the government said, BC is introducing the toughest drunk driving in laws in the world, well, in the in, in the, the country. country. Um, and this is going to reduce impaired driving and deter people. And here we are, 2020. We just got the numbers from Christmas time last year. And wouldn't you know it, Paul? Impaired driving is on the rise. Yeah. And uh, in other locations where they've introduced an IRP scheme too, um, Saskatchewan. Uh, is apparently impaired driving was way up in January. They introduced their IRP scheme a little while ago. It's up. It's up. So they bring in their big deterrent, the hammer, and... Take away rights. Take um, away rights. The, so this is a, an interesting thing. And the, um, I, I, I will never read the decision on the carbon tax from the Alberta Court of Appeal that came out this week 
where in a split decision, 5-4, the court said, well, you, you can't. 5-4? Five, imp- five, the Alberta Court of Appeals? Oh, sorry. They have nine justices. <laughs> five justices. What are they doing in Alberta? Oh, God, I'm so tired, Kyla. This is a long day. 3-2? Uh, it's a long day. Um, no, it was uh, a four to one split. Four to one. Okay. So five justices, four sided is what I wanted to say mm-hmm. with the government's position saying that this is a, a reach too far. And one justice who obviously went the other way and it was, it's a, it's an unusual decision because it doesn't uh, accord with the decisions from other courts of appeal like Saskatchewan, which has already gone to the Supreme Court of Canada and that's going to be argued next month. But hang on. You've got an inquisitive look and you, yes. you don't know where I'm going. Um, one of the things, there were some very strange things they said. One justice said, well, if this happens, then they can tell you what you've got to set your thermostat at next. That's not right in Alberta. Uh, I've heard that <laughs> that repeated. Um, just don't assume that judges are on their game every day. Um, the, uh, but the other thing that one I of them said was that. with the law of what we can set the thermostat at. Yeah, and you set it higher than anybody else would like it to be because <laughs> the law is it's whatever you want. Um, you turned it down today. <laughs> yeah, half a degree from 25 and a half to 25 people, just so you know. Um, it was like I was back in Hang on, let okay, me finish. Sorry. One of the justices said part of the problem with this legislation is that, okay, right now they're introducing a carbon tax, but if you look at this legislation, there's like a Trojan horse in there. There's things that you can, that they can get away with, um, that they're not doing now that they're going to do down the road. Now, of course, when we had the IRP scheme went to the Supreme Court of Canada and when the various iterations of it, we argued, um, we kept saying, look, look at these things that they've allowed themselves to do that they're saying they're not doing. Mm-hmm. Um, they're saying, oh, well, yeah, I know we can, we can not render a decision within 21 days, but don't worry, we're going to render decisions within 21 days. That's going to be just very rare that it would happen that some strange reason, like if an adjudicator got sick, that's what the lawyers said yeah. in oh, court. I, know. I, uh, I also remember at the Supreme Court of Canada, the lawyers saying, being asked, you know, so are all officers equipped with two ASDs? And the lawyer going, well, they'd better be. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, well, also at the Supreme Court of Canada, charter rights. Can you get your charter rights here? Your charter rights apply here? Oh, yeah, yeah. There's charter there's a, remedies. There's a process. There's a yeah. process. There was no process. But, um, and then the other thing, the, the worst thing that we saw in there was um, them not, uh, they, they have the authority under the legislation to give a person their license back if they can't render the decision within 21 days. Okay, that makes sense. For whatever reason, you can't render the decision within 21 days. The the adjudicators is in a car accident themselves or become sick or has the flu or whatever. Can't render the decision within 21 days. It's going to be two weeks later. We can give the person their license back in that period. Well, what happened? Two things happened. One, we see extensions sometimes for a year. There was two one, years. Two years Ploof, where they don't The famous matter. Ploof case was two years. Um, and the other thing we see now is they're giving extensions in cases and not giving people their licenses back. For the entire period of the prohibition. And if we had that evidence when we were making the argument about the legality of the scheme, the courts would have said, yeah, but we pointed out the Trojan horses. These were Trojan horses. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and uh, the courts were like, meh, yeah. And it, remember when we were we were presenting, you and I, at either the House of Commons Justice Committee or the Senate or something like that, and we were watching Lawyers for the Government. This oh, was yeah. Jody Wilson's the woodshed. legislation. Oh, yeah. Um, and um, the uh, Lawyers for the Government were being asked about, well, I mean, look at this. You could you could basically uh, arrest somebody in there, out of, drag them out of bed three hours later and charge them with impaired driving and then back extrapolate. And the lawyers for the government will, oh, yeah, I guess you could. But no, we would never do that. No, we'd take, anybody did that, the judge would take them out to the woodshed type thing. It's it's really, we've got some, we have a problem. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we have a problem in so, this country. So why is it, Paul? I want your theory on this. Why is it that despite having these supposedly significant deterrents, the numbers are going up? Is it that enforcement is easier and so they're catching more people that already existed because that's the government spin or is it some other reason well let's remember the tool that they're using is an approved screening device and they were using that same tool before they always use the same tool to stop people and to detain them so uh, now they stop people and detain them using an approved screening device and they take them off the road then they used to stop people with an approved screening device and take them off the road the fundamental difference is after they would use the approved screening device, they'd take them back to the detachment and some people would get to the detachment and blow below 80 milligrams. Mm -hmm. So there's fewer people who end up with lengthy driving prohibitions only because they've been tested later on on a slightly better unit in better circumstances. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the reasons. Okay. So what I'm saying there is basically you're, you can, you can attribute the increase. Out the false readings. Yeah, you're weeding out the false readings. You can attribute the increase, the increased number of people that they get with the IRP scheme to wrongfully convicted people. Well, not Wrongfully convicted. charged. Wrongfully, not well, charged. Not convicted or charged, but wrongfully convicted and charged people. Wrongfully when punished. You're, when you're saying the judge-jury executioner oh, argument wait. of the IRP scheme. It's also not punishment. Wrongfully prohibited from driving. Suffering, yeah. suffering individuals whose lives wrongfully are destroyed. given consequences. Yeah. Or and, penalties. And the courts seem to be fine with all of that. Courts seem to be fine with all of that. And yeah, which... I, and I, if you, it was 20 years ago, I don't think that would have happened. Man. I think it's a, a different attitude in if the courts. If I were a judge here in this, I'd be sitting there and I'd be going, I'm sorry, you did what? Yeah. <laughs> well. Have you heard of this cool document called the Charter? Yeah. You. You. Yeah. All our judges are baby boomers now. That's true, but like I sleep in a blanket with the charter printed on it. I know, but all our judges are baby boomers now. So what you're saying is next time I'm in court and the judge is disagreeing with me, I should say, okay, okay boomer. boomer. I'd love to have the balls to pull that off, but I don't need a law society complaint. Russ Chamberlain would have done it. He was a boomer. He was a little bit older than a boomer. So he oh. would have done it. Yeah, but he could get away with that. Yeah. I can't get away with that. Now, the judges who were born before the Second World War seem to have a, and lived in the immediate aftermath of the Second World War and watched the trials for war criminals, um, I think had a greater understanding of the dangers of totalitarianism and wanted to make sure that the Charter was a vigorous document to protect people. And now... We have the people who were born after the Second World War, who grew up in the 60s, um, 50s and 60s, and they lived a much more affluent life. Uh, they didn't have their parents as uh, um, 
influenced by the depression uh, and um, so they kind of are less um, fearful of the specter of bad government and are somehow trusting of government so that's I, my theory on it i think we will have a pendulum swing when my generation hits the bench apparently your generation you millennials are very conservative you've all had police officers come to your schools and lecture you and talk about you know how how just go to the police for help. And so none of those people are really suspicious. I mean, you're very suspicious of the police. I was going to say, you mean not everybody was sitting there cynically wondering if the police were like spying on them or trying to learn information? There's some recent social science studies that have suggested that millennials are more conservative. Hmm. Um, I think my generation, Gen X generation, are probably more cynical. But we'll never have any positions of power. It's going to go straight from the uh, from the boomers to the uh, to the millennials. So well, I know. thought the millennials were cool, man. Millenn- Generation, you suck. <laughs> I know some of your friends. I've talked to some of your friends. I find them, you know, they're all lovely, but they're also See, kind of conservative. I don't know. Most of my friends, I think, would turf shit on a charter application. I have no Be idea. Willing to find breaches. I have no idea. I, of course, most of my friends are criminal defense lawyers. There you go. So uh, that helps. Um, okay. What we need is some uh, some uh, Gen Xers who are like fatally flawed and uh, and basically damaged to become judges. Maybe they could straighten things out. Well, with impaired driving on the rise, some have suggested that the introduction of new technology that keeps you from operating your vehicle when you're not in a good condition to be driving might be the one thing that'll finally stop impaired driving. I've said that for years, and I've said that there's an easy way for the government to do it. Well, I know the way that you're saying, but I'm saying, what about self-driving cars? I'm trying to seamlessly shift to our What about topic. self-driving cars? So that's something that, you know, I as a drinker am waiting for because I'd like to be able to have a drink I, uh, sitting in the back seat of a car that's driving on its own. As a would-be cannabis user and hopeful for the legalization of uh, of mushrooms. I'd Would like, like to, that I'd too. Like to, I'd like to like have some hallucinogens and then get in a self-driving car. I enjoy driving. I enjoy driving, but I'd be just as happy now to sit in the back seat of a little cube, Nissan cube type thing that gets me there where I can put my feet up maybe sofa-like and uh, make some phone calls and do some work. Yeah, or play video games. Or play video games. Now, of course, we see this investigation into this accident in the United States. Yes, it was a highway collision. With a Tesla, and the guy was playing video games while he had his Tesla set on autopilot. Mm -hmm. And Tesla drivers are the first to step up and defend Tesla. Boy, oh boy, they love it. And I understand that. They probably bought the car and stock. Oh, yeah, m- many of them do. Uh, and I, I get it. Uh, but, you know, I saw a guy, I was driving down uh, back to the office from here. We're in Richmond. I was driving back downtown one night at like 11 o'clock uh, on um, the East-West Connector. And there was a guy in the left-hand lane with his light on, reading a book, both hands on his book, in the left-hand lane in his Tesla on autopilot. People will do stupid things. Well... Yes. Like play video games. And the question is now, what do we do about it? 
Well, oh, I, what I want to know is if he was on autopilot, why was he in an accident? I thought self-driving was supposed to not get in accidents. Uh, there's a couple things that they talked about, um, like sensor overload, where too much stuff comes in. You know, you're using your uh, your browser and all of a sudden your computer slows down for a minute, mm-hmm. um, which is the my greatest fear for anybody who gets a photo radar ticket or a uh, uh, photo red light ticket is that the same thing may have been happening there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that um, I've, I've talked to people involved in it and it is a potential issue. Um, same with breath testing instruments, same issue can happen, simple computer, uh, your, my iPhone, they spend billions of dollars researching it and it still screws up from time to time. Um, so that's one issue. The other issue is just a circumstance where it misreads it. I mean, it doesn't have eyes, it's got sensors and the sensors are probably pretty good and can probably do a lot of things that your eyes can't do, like see through fog. And it can react faster. And it can react a hell of a lot faster, but if it just perceives something incorrectly, um, it will respond incorrectly. In fact, this is much like the Jeopardy tournament where uh, Ken Jennings and Brad Rutter played against a computer and they were able to out-knowledge the computer because the computer wasn't like perfectly programmed to always know the answer. It was Mm -hmm. programmed to access a data bank and then derive what it thought to be the correct answer from the data bank of information related. Anyway... Um, but they could not outpace the computer on the buzzer and 99% of winning Jeopardy is buzzer. Oh yeah. I heard something about yeah. that. Oh I yeah. Some, I heard of something on CBC about that. Somebody who was on was there explaining was a... they do, the buzzer training is more important actually mm-hmm. than, because most of the time you're going to be right because most of the people know the answers who mm-hmm. go on to Jeopardy. It's an issue of pressing the button. Well, the questions are, or the answers are all really easy. So. For you. For most people. It used to be easy for me. Not easy as, as I've aged. Um, not for most people. Okay. Well, anyway, the Jeopardy buzzer, yeah, is the thing. So That's that why I'll never speed. succeed at Jeopardy, because I, I would fuck up the buzzer. There you go. Anyway, just like that, computer can react faster. Yeah. So, um, but that's fine. That's all lovely. I mean, my, my uh, Honda... Um, will figure out to start braking before I recognize that the vehicle in front is slowing down. That's lovely. Uh, point is that people are taking their hands off the wheel um, and relying on this. And even if they are there and attentive, you still got to put your hands on the wheel and you cannot, you have to override basically the inputs that the computer is doing. And if you're playing a video game, you got a big problem. If you're reading a book, there's a huge risk for the other road users, not just you and your Tesla. So what you're saying, Paul, is that it's the free legal advice time for the podcast, where I give free legal advice. If you have an autopilot mode on your Tesla, don't use it. Well, I, you know, this is the problem. People assume that they are allowed to use it because they can buy it. Well, also, there's nothing that prohibits it. Well, you can buy it. That's the thing. There's nothing that prohibits it. You can buy a straight pipe for your car. It's lawful. You can buy tinting for your front windshield. You can lawfully buy it. You just can't use it. You're not allowed to drive with it. There's all sorts of things you can lawfully buy that you cannot use. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just keep thinking of loud mufflers. Yeah, I saw one today. I was following a car. I had like a like a 20-year-old car, but he had a straight pipe muffler on it. And I kept 
it was so loud. It was like, why would you want to drive a lawnmower? But um, I, I don't get it either. But the point <laughs> is, you're not allowed to to necessarily use it, but it doesn't mean you can't not buy it. Mm -hmm. uh, I remember there was I was working in Canadian Tire, and um, that's a long time, like thirty years ago or whatever, um, and um, in the automotive department and. I was stocking the shelves and some guy was walking by and he said, I don't know why you sell those things. You know, I just give them all a ticket. If any time they use it, you shouldn't even be allowed to sell it. Yeah. He's and, probably uh, right. Yeah. And, uh, I think I said something to, to him like, yeah, well, that's your problem. Not mine. Mm -hmm. Um, and so uh, I thought, and I also thought what kind of asshole Right. Starts talking to the Canadian tire clerk like, like that. Like you have any control like, over yeah. it. Yeah. All I thought was, yeah, you're a fucking wannabe cop. Anyway. <laughs> um, but where is government on this? Like, if you can now download self-driving mode into your Tesla, where is the legislation to address this? Why is the government sitting on their hands? Because, you know, it, it's already killed a person in California. Well, it's, it's killed a few people now. Okay. Well, it's... It's but already killed a few people, and this was a, it's like only a, really a matter good of time until somebody dies here. How many people have to die here before they write some piece of legislation to address it? There's going to be more and more autonomous cars. It's not just going to be Tesla that has this feature. Uh, other manufacturers are going to do it. I'm sure the federal government has to approve them for safety, but then, of course, Tesla has upgrades yeah. and things like that. Each time the software changes, it's still is it still an approved car? Um, I don't know, but does the federal government think about how the road legislation should be? No, that's the provincial government's responsibility. Well, exactly. So the federal government looks at it and says, well, it meets our, you know, safety requirements. It stops. It's got five mile per hour bumpers. It's got, uh, it's got yep. seat belts. It's got seats that don't collapse. It's got airbags and yeah, Transport Canada doesn't, doesn't, doesn't burst care. into flames usually. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, that's what they're looking at. Yeah. Um, and then after that, it's up to the provinces to legislate, you know, the, the use of roads and highways. So it's really, you know, for our listeners in the provincial government, who I know the ministers of the government listen each week to the driving law podcast, um, it's time for the government, I think, to step up. Otherwise it's going to happen and everybody's going to be saying, why the fuck didn't you do something when we knew this was happening? We have a study from the National Highway Traffic Safety Board uh, of the United States that looked into this collision. We know that this is being sold. You, If you don't know, you better know. Um, why is there not some sort of legislation? If, you know, prohibiting people from using it, permitting it in certain circumstances, or just saying, look, we're not supposed to be a beta test. Yeah. Tesla always says, well, we're beta testing it. Of course, Google says they're beta testing Gmail for the last 22 years, but. Well, I mean, you still can't have like preset replies or just press a button to sort your inbox by NRED. So they are really not past the beta testing stage. Gmail was cool when it first came out, but now I find it a hindrance and it's annoying. Uh, I have found that I am not able to search my uh, emails to find. Function, they run a, the number one search engine in the world and you can't search your inbox with any like usefulness. I know. Um, Google alerts. I get Google alerts. I get lots of Google alerts. I can't search my inbox for Google alerts. I used to be able to. I can't anymore. That's so I have, I, can. I have, I have, yeah, well, so I can't. I have thousands of unread messages 
most of them are Google alerts. I have 12,000 unread messages. I know. Most of them are Google alerts. If I ever look at your phone screen and I I see those 12,000 unread emails, I'm just like, oh. I can tell you I've never used Surrey in my car. I've never read an email in my car while, well, in in any unlawful way. Only ever parked and within park in a lawful spot. Yes. I've never used Surrey for it because anytime I've said, once I, twice I said, Surrey, can you read my emails? And, uh. It said, you have 12,625 emails. And then it started with the first one. The first one. <laughs> not, not the most recent one. It's like, okay. January 28th, 2001. Do you want me to continue after four? Well, I was thinking like if I could just set it to go for like a few days, maybe if I was going camping. Lock it in a room. Yeah. And just let it read them all. Then it would mark them as all read and then I'd be done. Problem solved. Yeah. I just, you know, I sort my... <laughs> work that I need to do by leaving emails unread or marking them as unread, but then I can't just find them in one convenient place in Google. But you can on your phone. Yeah, I know, but I'm not responding to work emails on my phone usually. All right. This is enough about Google. We've departed. Yeah. It's time for... The Ridiculous Driver of the Week. So, this week... The Ridiculous Driver of the Week comes to us courtesy of Sergeant Christensen uh, from the Vancouver Police Department. I think you should say, my friend, Sergeant Christensen. But he doesn't even follow me. No, hey, I'm Sergeant surprised. Christensen, or any of his friends or colleagues that work with him, tell him to follow me on Twitter. Maybe he follows the Driving Law podcast. I don't follow, I don't check that. I don't know who handles that Twitter he account. He follows 204 people. Um... I thought he followed me, and then I looked, and he didn't. He follows the Conservative Party. Um, lots of police officers. Um, anyway, Sergeant Christensen posts a beautiful picture, and you should go check out his Twitter account to see it. It is at baldguy1363, uh, <laughs> which is his badge number. Yeah, I know People that's his badge like, number. Was it a bald guy? No, yeah. No. I was about to say he's got from. he's got golden locks of hair. No. Um, so he posts a picture uh, with the caption, Stopped for insecure load. Further examination found flashlights being used as headlights and taillights. No insurance and failed to comply with previous inspection order. $1,920 in fines and vehicle removed from road. I think I've seen that vehicle. I think I've also seen the same two fellows in that vehicle driving an, uh, another older uh, pickup truck that was one of the Lincoln models, and it sure. beat to hell. Anyway, in the back of this pickup truck are some things. Paul, I'm going to show you the picture. You can probably say what those are. Sure. So, I mean, it's not like a lot of weight. Um, it looks like a whole lot of styrofoam insulation, but they appear to be maybe six foot by eight foot sheets. And um, let me see. Uh, seven in a bundle or eight in a bundle, um, maybe slightly less, maybe six in a bundle, but there's three bundles there wrapped up in polyethylene. And then there's some one by sixes that are sticking out the back. And these things are huge sticking up, standing vertically in the back of this truck. But the best part is the tie down straps that they've used are holding the truck together. Well, they're they're wrapped around like the front bumper. Let me get, let me see the picture again. Let me see the picture again. Uh, Oh yeah. There's multiple pictures, but they're, 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 they're wrapped around the 
so the one by sixes are being used to hold the the straps. insulation down. So it's wrapped around that, not wrapped around. It doesn't look like there's even there's just a smashed up rear tailgate, I guess, sticking out. Um, of course, there are no functioning tail lights. There's some flashlights that appear to be um. shining into the tail light um, to make the tail light look like it's working. Maybe I don't know, but it's taped on to the tie down mm -hmm. strap. And then the other tie-down straps are sort of loosely around the front over the hood and the front bumper. And the front, um, the front driver's side headlight, even better. The front driver's side headlight has, you know, one of those flashy bike lights yeah. that you mount on the front of a bike? That is like taped with electrical tape over the front of the headlight. It's not even working. <laughs> it's just a flashy bike light. Yeah. Good enough for a bike. Yeah. So awesome. It actually looks like it's taped so it flashes into the light. Mm -hmm. So it maybe reflects back. So it looks like it. Okay. Yeah, I can see. They, yeah, the bumper's smashed up. I thought that strap went over it. Yeah. The strap doesn't go over it. The strap oh, sort of straps it's, up it's to the It's holding front. the truck together. Yep. <laughs> anyway, that was amazing. I can't believe that Sergeant Christensen gave him a ticket and not a medal for being the most ridiculous insecure load oh it's just it's, it's just painful but the, 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 so yeah funny. the light on the front is hilarious the light on the front is hilarious so um i would say that uh sergeant christensen is um is otherwise discreet um he pulls over hundreds of people uh he gives mm -hmm. lots and lots of tickets and he's you know he'll get you if you're doing anything that's that's uh, unlawful on the road but he's also um uh, reasonable, but, uh, he posts these ones on his Twitter feed and I tell you right now, don't follow him cause he's not going to follow you back. No. Um, apparently, but, unless uh, you know, check unless you're a cop or a conservative. MP. Yeah. Um, uh, but, uh, check out his Twitter feed cause it is pretty funny. Yeah. So that's our show. Uh, if you have any need to reach us, give us a uh, call at 604-685-8889 or find us online at vancouvercriminallaw.com and tune in next week for another exciting episode of Driving Law.